The reading is from John chapter 21, verses 15 to 25, and that's on page 1090 in the Church Bibles. It's John chapter 21, from verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time, He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread amongst the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that this testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. Good evening, everyone. And uh, I bring greetings from Goldstone Church. If we've never met before, hi, my name is Simon. I'm the minister of Goldstone Church. And if you've never heard of Goldstone Church, it's a daughter church of Bishop Hannington. Uh, We meet at Goldstone Primary School, which is just off Elm Drive, and you're welcome to join us, yes, all of you, at uh, 10.30 every Sunday morning. Um, So just making sure that the invitations are out. Yes, good. Um, As we turn to God's Word, let's start with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. May my words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts, Lord, be acceptable to you. Amen. There's a a story of a very nervous bride who visited her vicar 
a few days before her wedding. To calm her nerves, she asked the vicar if he would explain what was going to happen. The vicar gently explained that uh, she would arrive at the church, she would walk down the aisle on, the, uh, on her father's arm, she would stand in front of the church altar, and then they would sing the first hymn. After that, the, the vicar would prompt the bride what to do and what to say next. The bride paused and, and asked the vicar to repeat what he had said. Yes, so you'll arrive at the church, you'll walk down the aisle on your father's arm, you'll stand in front of the church altar, and we'll sing the first hymn, and then I'll prompt you of what to say next. Got it, she said. The great day arrived, and everyone was gathered in the church in all their finery, um, and the groom was at the front of the church waiting patiently uh, for his uh, beautiful bride to walk down the aisle. And uh, as he watched her proudly walk down the aisle, the bridegroom's face changed from one of uh, happiness to one of horror when he heard his bride whispering under her breath, I'll alter him. <laughs> Just waiting for that one to sink in a bit. Ah, someone's got it. Good. It has been said that there is nothing more certain than change. Change always has and always will occur. Despite all the advancements in our society, one thing is sure, change is the only constant in business and in life. Some change will be good, some change won't be as good, but every change will be an opportunity. The Bible passage that uh, we're looking at this evening from John 21 is full of changes. And I'd like to look a little bit more at this passage. It'll help if you have the passage in front of you. It's on page 1090, John chapter 21. But first though, let me put this Bible passage in some sort of context. The events that we read in John chapter 21 are within a period of a few short weeks between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. In the days before this Bible passage, the disciples had been going through a roller coaster of emotions. For example, there was the intimacy and spiritual union of the Last Supper. There was the running away and denying Jesus when he was arrested. They experienced the uh, emptiness and grief when Jesus was crucified and died. They went through the confusion when women reported that the tomb was empty. They faced fear and uncertainty as they gathered together again in the upper room. There was disbelief and wonder at seeing Jesus alive and speaking with them. And there was a growing understanding and acceptance of who Jesus was and of the truth that he had been teaching. 
But now, the disciples were back in Galilee. The big city trauma of Jerusalem is behind them. And they were back in their old neighborhood. Actually, this is a a small point that can be overlooked. The disciples were not running away from the events in Jerusalem, but rather they were following Jesus' instructions. You can read in Matthew 28, 7, the angels tell the women that Jesus was going ahead of them to Galilee. And then later in verse 10, Jesus himself tells the women that he's going, tells the women to tell the disciples to go to Galilee. The distance between Jerusalem and Galilee was about 70 miles. So we can assume that several days would have passed since Jesus appeared to doubting Thomas in the upper room. Now, here in John 21, we're on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus appears once again to his disciples. And it's interesting that although several disciples are mentioned in this passage, the focus on this chapter is on Peter. And the first thing we see in this chapter is a changed relationship for life. At the beginning of verse 15, Jesus said to Peter, Do you love me? For many people, the, these verses are well-known part of this, of this Bible passage. And quite possibly, like me, you've heard many sermons focusing on these words. But just because they're familiar, they shouldn't be overlooked. Especially as in these verses, Jesus is reestablishing his personal relationship with Peter. If we look through the gospel narratives, we can see a progression in in Peter's relationship with Jesus. Firstly, it starts with uncertainty. Okay, this is an assumption on my part. But when Jesus first called Peter to follow him, I wouldn't be a little bit surprised if Peter was not even a little bit doubtful and a little uncertain of who or what Jesus was. John chapter 1 tells us that it was Andrew who brought and introduced his brother Peter to Jesus. So there could have been even some sort of sibling skepticism going on. But Peter's relationship with Jesus develops over time. And it is clear that Peter comes to a point where he knows who Jesus is. And I love the way that Peter doesn't mess about. With great insight, Peter bluntly declares, Mark chapter 8, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. Of course, of course if, the, if Peter's confession was one of the highest points in his relationship with Jesus, then the lowest point has to be his betrayal. One of the saddest verses must surely be Luke twenty-two fifty-seven, where Peter says, I don't know him. Incredibly, after three years of walking and talking and being with Jesus, Peter shatters their relationship. I don't know him. He went from hero to zero. Devastating. But here in John 21, 
Jesus wants to restore and even deepen his relationship with Peter. And note the process. Note the steps that Jesus takes to reestablish this relationship. It starts a few verses before the section that we read. It starts with Jesus' initiative in verse 4 and 5. Jesus comes close to where the disciples are fishing and initiates the conversation. Jesus doesn't just appear on the boat and go, boo. He approaches them gently. And neither does Jesus stand on the beach and uh, passively waits for them to see him. No, Jesus reaches out and engages with them. Secondly, we have Jesus' understanding in verse 6. Jesus finds out about the disciple. He asks about them and gets an understanding of what they're going through. It's not sympathy, it's empathy. Jesus identifies with what the disciples are experiencing. And then we have Jesus' invitation in verse 12. Jesus invites the disciples to share food with him. This sounds such a gentle and a natural thing to do, but it's so important. Jesus doesn't pressurize the disciples, but rather he provides an open and a welcoming invitation. And Jesus is socializing. Verse 13, Jesus prepares a meal with the disciples. He engages with them at a physical level and at a social level. And he spends time with them. And note too that there is not a hidden agenda there either. And lastly we have Jesus' conversation. Verse 15. It's interesting that Jesus only speaks to Peter after the breakfast meal was over. Jesus' actions have brought Peter, uh, a broody, devastated and hungry fisherman, Uh, Jesus has brought Peter to a place where Jesus can have a deep and a profound, life-changing conversation with him. Let's apply these thoughts to our lives today, here in 21st century Hove. As followers of Jesus Christ, as his modern-day disciples, Jesus wants us to have a deeper relationship with him. Perhaps our relationship with Jesus has wavered in the past, but he's here now, reaching out to us this evening, inviting us to enter into a closer relationship with him. But this invitation raises a question. What does an intimate relationship with Jesus look like? Sadly, we don't have time to explore this subject fully, But I will say that any relationship, the evidence of growing closer to God, will be shown in many different ways. And one of those evidences of a deepening relationship with God is responding to his challenge to engage with those in our community who do not know what it is like to have any sort of personal relationship with Jesus. And I'd like to suggest that here in John chapter 21, Jesus is providing a template on how to engage and have a relationship with those in our community. That we 
initiate the interaction. That we are proactive and go out into our community rather than wait for them to come to us. That we understand the issues in our community. At the risk of using jargon language, we need to know where people are itching so that we can effectively scratch where they itch. We need to invite our community to meet with us. Let's not wait until the Christmas carol service. We need to invite our neighbors into our homes and into our church as well. But to do this in a way that is natural and relevant. We need to socialize with our community. We need to spend time and engage with our neighbors. And at the risk of sounding obvious, there can't be anything less threatening than sharing a meal with someone or even a barbecue. And we need to speak and have a conversation with our community. I think we need to be careful to speak to our neighbors at the right time. It's getting the right balance of not forcing a conversation during a time of socializing, but neither missing an opportunity when someone is asking about the love of Jesus. Initiate, understand, invite, socialize, converse. Yes, I agree that we must not consider this approach as the only way that we can engage and reach out to our community. But I do not think it's a process, but I think it's a process that we do need to consider carefully. In John chapter 21, Jesus shows he is passionate about a relationship with Peter and his disciples. And by extension, Jesus is passionate about his relationship with you and me. But this passage in John 21 doesn't stop here. Uh, A changed relationship for life. And secondly, a changed role in life. At the end of verse 15, Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. I think it's significant that all the accounts of what happened in the upper room on both occasions, in all those verses that we read about the upper room, Peter is not mentioned. In fact, considering Peter's outspokenness and his rough-and-ready character, the silence is deafening. Yes, I can understand that having recently denied Jesus three times, there would be every reason for Peter to retreat into the background when Jesus appeared in front of everyone. But in John 21, verse 3, we see Peter stepping forward into the limelight again and deciding that this is a good time to go fishing. It's interesting that the gospel narratives tell us about Peter's career progression. Firstly, he's a fisherman. When Jesus uh, first calls his disciples, Luke 5, Simon, as he was then called, is a successful fisherman. He must have been successful because he owned his own boat, a boat that Jesus sat in to teach the crowds. But Jesus calls Simon Peter to follow him, saying that he will fish for people. And with a wonderful act of faith, Simon Peter drops everything and changes his job. 
and he becomes a disciple. There are many, many references in the Bible of Simon Peter being a disciple. And there's a clear suggestion that he's the spokesman or the pseudo-leader of the Twelve. One example, in Luke chapter 9, Peter is one of only three disciples that goes up the mountain and who sees Jesus transfigured. Peter hears God saying about Jesus, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Peter physically heard the voice of God. Wow. But now, in John 21, Peter returns to his old trade. He reverts to being a fisherman. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't let Peter go back to his old job, but rather he gently but firmly leads Peter onto the next phase of his life. Jesus calls Peter to a new role. He is to be a shepherd. No, not a disciple that will fish for people, but rather a disciple who will feed Jesus' sheep. In other words, a shepherd. But this raises another question. Why was Jesus changing the metaphor on Peter? Why is he now asking him to be a shepherd? Well, if you think about it, fishing is not really the best image for the kingdom of God. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, but never the good fisherman. And I think there's a very good reason. Jesus' heart is to protect us in this broken world and to rescue us when we are lost. But fishing isn't like that. Fishing is relatively easy. It's transactional. And it's all about the numbers. You don't have to form a personal relationship with fish. In fact, you don't really have to care for them. You don't name the fish. You just catch them, count them, And use them. By contrast, shepherding requires a personal investment. The sheep all have a name. And when they're counted, it's not to see how big the catch is, but to see if anyone is missing. And if one is missing, it really matters. A shepherd looks far and wide to find and rescue a lost sheep. The shepherd leads sheep into green pastures so that they're well fed. He leads them beside quiet waters so they're refreshed. And he protects them with his rod and his staff when danger lurks. A shepherd's voice is known by the sheep and they trust him and follow him. The difference between these two occupations is striking. Again, let me apply this principle to our lives today. As followers of Jesus Christ, as his modern day disciples, as Jesus' ambassadors to Hove, I believe we need to consider seriously whether we are fishermen or shepherds. In other words, are we going out into our community with a mindset that we're trying to catch the lost with a fishing line or a net? 
Are we accidentally, are we even deliberately trying to trap or snare people into God's kingdom? In John 21, Jesus is challenging Peter and the other disciples to change their attitude, to have the mindset of a shepherd towards the lost, to seek out the lost, to be relational, and to lead them with care and understanding to Jesus, the good shepherd. And we need to be the same. A changed relationship for life, a changed role in life, and lastly, a changed reason of life. At the end of verse 19, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. It's interesting that the last, it's interesting that one of the last words that Jesus specifically says to Peter are the same words of his first words, follow me. But this makes us ask why. Why does Jesus challenge Peter yet again to follow him? Well, I think the answer lies in in what's just happened before. Jesus has given Peter a new role in life, to be a shepherd. And the key consequence of this role is that life will not be easy. The role will require a personal investment. It will require sacrifice and effort. And it will call upon every part of his being and personality. But Jesus has also given Peter a new relationship for life. To live out a new love relationship with Jesus. A relationship that Jesus initiated and paid for on the cross at Calvary. What Jesus is effectively saying is, Peter, your life is not going to get any easier. But through our restored love relationship, stay focused on following me. Stay focused on saying what I would say. Stay focused on doing what I would do. And stay focused on responding as I would respond. Follow me. There's a story of a man who was an SAS soldier on a covert operation, freeing hostages from a building in some dark part of the world. They flew in, the team flew in by helicopter, made their way to the compound and stormed into the room where the hostages had been imprisoned for months. The room was dark and filthy, with the hostages curled up in a corner, terrified. When the soldiers entered the room, they heard the gasps from the hostages. They stood at the door and called the prisoners, telling them that they were British. The soldiers asked the hostages to follow them. But the hostages wouldn't move. They just sat there on the floor and hid their eyes in fear. They could not believe that their rescuers were real. The soldiers stood there, not knowing what to do. They couldn't carry everybody out. Then one of the soldiers had an idea. He put down his weapon, he took off his helmet, and he curled up tightly next to the other hostages, getting so close that his body was actually touching theirs. He softened the look 
on his face and, and he put his arms around them. He was trying to show them that he was one of them. After all, prison guards wouldn't have done this. He stayed there for a little while until some of the hostages started to look at him, finally meeting his eyes. The soldier whispered that they were British and that they were there to rescue them. Will you follow us, he said. The hero stood to his feet and one of the hostages did the same. Then another, then another, until all of them were willing to go and they were rescued. When Jesus told Peter to follow him, He was asking him to follow someone who knew what it was like to be human. Someone who Peter could trust and imitate. The challenge to Peter is the same challenge to all followers of Jesus Christ. To stay focused on following Jesus. Irrespective of what the world is throwing at us, let us stay focused on saying what Jesus would say. Irrespective of what the world is throwing at us, let us stay focused on doing what Jesus would do. And let us stay focused on responding as Jesus would respond in a situation. A changed relationship for life, changed role in life, a changed reason of life. When I first heard the story of the nervous bride, like many of you, I had a good laugh and a giggle. It took me a while to get the joke as well, don't worry. But then I remembered some wise words that someone said to me just before I got married. They said, you can never change anyone else, you can only change yourself. So yes, it may be easy to point the finger at others, and to suggest that they should change. But this evening, I believe God is calling us to change. God is calling us to a changed relationship for life, to be a people with a deeper and a far-reaching love relationship with Jesus. God is calling us to a changed role in life, to be a people with a shepherd's heart and a compassion for our community. And God is calling us to a a changed reason for life. To be people with lives focused entirely on following Jesus. To be focused on saying what Jesus would say, doing what Jesus would do, and responding as Jesus would respond. I believe God is saying now, now is the time for change. How will you respond? Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us through your word. We confess that change is often difficult for us. And so, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit will show us the way forward. Lord, may our relationship with you grow and deepen, even this week. And may it become more intimate. 
Give us a fresh heart of compassion for those in our community that do not know you. And may we follow you this week with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind and all our strength. And we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.